I was really encouraged last week when Tanya decided that she would speak on joy because I'd decided a number of weeks before her that I was going to speak on peace. So that was really encouraging. The Christmas theme's continuing, so Matt had no option. He's got to speak on hope um, next week to continue the trilogy. I was looking at uh, the Greek and Hebrew this week and I noticed a bit of a, a mistake in the original manuscript. It turns out all the time Jesus was actually talking about the vegetables coming on earth. So um, enjoy that one this morning. That's my pun and joke out of the way so that you guys don't have to suffer. Um, my family's probably very thankful as well. well. Can I just pray as well? I know we've prayed a few times this morning, but I know that the responsibility I've got this morning to bring you the words, no small thing. So I just really want to stop and pray and commit the word I'm going to share to God. And Lord, we just want to thank you for this morning. God, I thank you so much for all you've been doing in our lives, God. Um, as 2016 draws to a close, Jesus, we just thank you that you're, you're on the throne, Lord. You reign. And God, we can be confident of that. Lord, through this busy season, God, I thank you that, yeah, you still reign, Father. You're still there. You're still offering us peace. You're still offering us joy, God, despite the craziness that the world portrays, Lord. We just thank you that we can fix our eyes on you and, and show the world a better way too, God, during this season. So I pray that Lord, you just remind us of that this morning. God, I thank you for the honour it is to be able to come around your word, Lord. I thank you for the freedom that we have in this country to be able to study your word, Lord, and to boldly proclaim it, Lord. And I just pray that this morning you'd help my words to be honouring to you, Lord, and just, just help every word. Lord, if there's anything that I say that, that's not of you, God, I just pray that you'd wipe it from, um, from the minds of those who are hearing, God. So I just want to give you the glory and the honour this morning because you're worthy. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Awesome. Cool. So I thought we'd better start and answer the very important question, and that is, what is peace? Peace in our, in our modern world has come to mean a variety of things. You guys probably know the peace symbol. You've seen the circle with the broken cross. Peace brings to mind, I don't know about for you, but I think of still waters and, I guess, rest and that sort of thing. But the biblical interpretation of peace is actually quite different to that, as a number of you will probably be aware. I've got there our Jehovah Shalom. Shalom is the, the Hebrew word for peace that's used throughout the New Testament. Um, and it's an absolutely beautiful word. Um, Jehovah means is the, one of the Jewish names for God too. I want to focus on a couple of verses this morning. I want you to keep them in mind as I'm, as I'm speaking. Because peace is, peace is a really central characteristic of God. It was, it's used throughout Scripture uh, in greetings. It's used throughout Scripture in, in well-wishing uh, from the people of God to each other. And, it's, and first and foremostly, it's one of the last things that Jesus promised to his disciples before he was crucified. This verse, um, I love it. John 14, 27 says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and of heart. And this peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. And the classic Christmas verse that I'm sure we've been hearing a bit over the last few weeks from Isaiah 9.6, for, un, for unto us a child is born, a son is given. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. And that's really reassuring to know that our God is, is Jesus is the Prince of Peace and our God is a God of peace because there's lots of religions in this world that promote violence and, and works. But we, we get to serve a God of peace. Um, and I think that's pretty amazing because that means, means a lot more than I think we understand it to mean sometimes. All right. So I thought we'd, uh, we'd go on a bit of a crash course of some Hebrew and Greek this morning. So I want to apologize to those of you who heard me speak yesterday at the Southern Cross. 
training day and those of you who I am tutoring throughout this year, I mean, you've had to listen to my voice throughout the year, Ferdinand's boys, so you'll just have to put up with my voice a bit more and some more teaching this morning. But this word shalom, this is an incredible word. In, in the original Hebrew language, it means a number of things. And um, when I looked it up, all these ab- adjectives came, to, came up in my search. Completeness, contentment, soundness, wholeness, welfare, and obviously peace. Um, and the, I found a really cool quote there. Shalom means everything that makes for man's highest good. So it's not just a feeling that we feel in church. It's not just a feeling of rest. It's not just something that we experience when we're um, having a chill on the couch, watching some TV on Sunday afternoon, as I'm sure many of you will do this afternoon. Peace means everything for our, our ultimate good. It's, it's about an inward state of, of confidence in God, no matter what's going on around us. Um, and that's what, that's what shalom means. Shalom also went a bit deeper than that. It wasn't just a word that was used in the Bible. It was actually used as a greeting um, when Jewish people were meeting up with each other. They'd say, shalom, peace be with you. But again, that, that, that carries with it an enormous weight. It wasn't just like, well, if I, okay, Noel, for example, if I was catching up with you and I, I met you down the street and I said, shalom, peace be with you, Noel. It wasn't just, I want you to feel good. It was, I want you to be doing well. I want everything that you're doing, in everything that you're doing this week, I want you to be experiencing confidence in God and confidence in Jesus, Jesus Christ. You're welcome. Uh, everybody else can have that too, by the way. Not just Noel, although he's a great guy. Awesome. So I've got the Exodus 4.18, which is a reference to when Moses was staying with his, his father-in-law, Jethro. And he went to Jethro and, and asked, went, Jethro, I'm, I feel like God's calling me back to my people in Egypt. Um, I, I need to go and see how they're doing. And Jethro didn't just say, oh, because Moses was working for him. Jethro didn't say, oh, that's all right. I'll be sad to see you go. I really, I don't know if I can let you go, but you can go anyway. Jethro said, peace be with you. And that was an ultimate blessing. He was saying, go with all the blessing of God. Go with confidence, go with peace, go with wholeness and, and go with, with soundness, Lord, knowing that I am I'm behind your decision 100%. Um, and I've also got there Judges 6, 23 to 24, which is a reference to Gideon, when God was calling Gideon. When God appeared to Gideon, Gideon was terrified because he'd seen the face of God. And God said, don't fear, peace be with you. And that was a massive thing back then because to see the face of God was an incredible thing and that usually meant death. So for God to say, peace be with you, that was an incredible reassurance. Getting the idea of shalom a little bit? Yep. How many of you heard the word before? should have asked that. Oh, all of you. That's great. How many of you heard of this word? Yes. Sweet. So this is the Greek word. This is the Greek word for peace. It's pronounced irini. I hope I got that right, Melissa. And Yurini is another beautiful word. Uh, it was, it's basically the word shalom when the Old Testament was translated into Greek. This word was popped in there instead of shalom. Now, it's got a very similar meaning, but also some really cool stuff behind it. So as you can see there, Yurini means the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ and so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot of whatsoever sort that is. How beautiful is that? That's awesome. I love that. It's not just the absence of war. It's not just the absence of trouble. It's actually confidence through, through whatever life throws at us. And that is, that, that's such a reassurance to have. 
Um, but what's really cool is this, that this word comes from a, a Greek verb that is spelled E-I-R-O. I think it's ido. And that means to join together that which has been separated. And I think that is an amazing reflection of what one part of biblical peace is. We were separated from God and by his work, by Christ's work on the cross, he joined us back together. He, he brought together what was separated. Michaela, I almost burst into tears when you said that in worship. You were talking about brokenness and, and God restoring us because that's exactly what I've, got, what I've got written here. It was, yeah, Eero means it's such a beautiful representation of what God has done for us. And that's the first, that's the first I guess, dimension of peace, of biblical peace. And it's that, it's that legality, um, that legal term that God has restored our relationship. And we don't have to live in fear because there's nothing that separates us from him. There's a, there's a really cool story I um, stumbled upon this week. There's a guy called Jim Moulton who ministers to a remote tribe in the Colombian jungle. And he was having a bit of trouble translating the word peace into their language. And um, the story goes, he was, I think for some reason, um, the village chief needed to, to go somewhere. And Jim arranged for a plane trip to be made, for him to be picked up. And a, a journey that was supposed to take three hours on foot and was going to take 20 minutes by plane. So the village chief was very chuffed, um, probably didn't even know what an aeroplane was. But a mix-up happened and he missed the plane and the village chief got really, really worked up and, and, and angry, I guess, because now he had to work three hours. Um, I'd be a bit angry if I had to walk for three hours when I knew that I could have taken a plane and it would have taken 20 minutes as well. But Jim taped his, the rant that this village chief went on and he, he noticed that there was a phrase being repeated and he asked the, the villagers what this phrase meant and they said, oh, it means one heart. It means what he's saying is that I don't have... I don't have one heart. I, there's something, there's beef between me and you. There's beef between this village chief and, and, and Jim who'd organised this, this plane trip. And that's when Jim realised that this is the word that he should use to translate for peace. It's that one heart, it's that separation. Those two, there's something in between um, one person and another. And that's peace. And I think that's a really good, really good example, again, of, of, of what God's done for us. He's restored, restored peace with us. So to summarise, um, we've got two aspects of peace here. We've got peace with God and we've got peace in God. With God, as we just talked about, Christ redeemed our relationship with him and we don't need to worry about there being any beef between us and God. And there's also peace in God. And that's what I really want to hone in on today. That deep, unwavering confidence in him, that shalom peace, that urini, that confidence in what, what God's done for us and what that means for us in our daily lives. Doing all right? Doing all right with the Greek and Hebrew? Good stuff. Fantastic. So I want to focus today on a, on a bit of a story that God brought to mind when I was, I was going for a run the other week. It's probably the only run I've done all this year, to be honest. I was going for a run because I felt like I needed some space and choosing this topic. And I was walking past a lake. Or actually, I was running. I just said walking. Don't worry. I was running past a lake and I felt God say, look up Luke 8. And I was looking at the water going, oh, cool. Looked up Luke 8 when I got home. And but lo and behold, it's the story of Jesus calming the sea. So I really, I really just now want to unpack that. The two different responses that the disciples and Jesus had in this situation um, and how we can take some pointers from that in our everyday lives. It's all well and good that God's provided us peace, but the enemy wants to steal that. And all too often, we as Christians um, struggle 
with a lack of peace. Um, so if you want to turn, to turn with me, if you've got your Bibles to Luke chapter 8 or on your devices, if you want to swipe to that. So one day Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and started out. As they sailed across, Jesus settled down for a nap. I love the New Living Translation. But soon a fierce storm came down on the lake. The boat was filling with water and they were in real danger. Other translations say they were deeply distressed. The disciples went and woke him up, shouting, Master, Master, we're going to drown. Master, Master, we're going to drown. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and the raging waves. Suddenly the storm stopped and all was calm. Then he asked them, where is your faith? The disciples were terrified and amazed. Who is this man? They asked each other. When he gives a command, even the wind and waves obey him. The disciples did not seem sound, confident or well in this situation. And what really struck me was that this is probably a situation that most of us would be afraid in. They were on the Sea of Galilee and Basically, the idea with the Sea of Galilee is it's in a bit of a valley, so it's a bit of a wind tunnel. So storms would come up really quickly. So they couldn't just go look at the weather report. Not that the weather report in Melbourne is very accurate, but they couldn't like go, oh, there's going to be a storm, we won't set out. Um, it was a bit of a risk um, setting out because they didn't know when these storms were going to come up. But obviously, boats were built a little bit differently back then and probably didn't have life jackets and, and life rings. So I don't know about you, but I would be afraid if I was in this situation. And I would have thought that Jesus would show a little bit more pity on them maybe and go, oh, it's all right, guys. Like, I know, you, I know you're scared, but don't worry. But he said, where is your faith? He challenged them. And that for me, I went, whoa, hang on a second. I hadn't noticed that before. That's pretty big. That's pretty big. If you want to turn to me to Matthew 14, chapter, uh, verse 22 to 36 also. This is the other story um, to do with the sea that, one of the other stories to do with the sea that Jesus was involved in. Um, I think it's got a similar, um, similar message for us. So immediately after this, Jesus had been preaching to a big crowd. Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from the land, land, for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. Again, we see Jesus challenging Peter. I don't know about you, but if I saw someone walk on water, I'd be like, good job. <laughs> like, well done. But yet Jesus says, you have so little faith. Why did you doubt me? That carries 
some pretty significant weight, I think. It's important to remember too, though, that I think sometimes we take these commands and in our head we, we condemnize them a bit, if that's a word. That's not a word, but I made it up. We make them a bit more negative than they probably were. We've got to remember that everything that Jesus did was out of love. Everything Jesus did was out of a heart of love for his disciples. So he wasn't saying this to condemn them. He wasn't saying this to say, oh, you didn't measure up to the standard. He was saying this out of love. He wanted to see Peter walk on the waves without fear. He wanted to see his disciples not be afraid in that boat. He wanted to see them wake up and go, well, they were not asleep. He wanted to see them when he woke up saying, oh, Jesus, we've got a bit of an issue here. There's a bit of a storm. We might, the boat's probably going to capsize, but you know, it's all good because you've got the power to stop those waves. Can I hear an amen? amen. Yeah? So, so there's something really significant for us to take out of this. When we come up against waves and wind in our lives, whatever, way, or whatever shape or form that takes, it's actually not good enough for us to shrink back in fear. That's not a condemnation. That is something from Jesus' heart. He wants us to be able to walk out this earth not fearful and not worried about what we will face because he knows that when we worry, that when we focus on the waves, that we are going to suffer. We're going to suffer. Stuff happens in our body when we experience anxiety and fear and it's not good for us. He wants us to give and portray a peaceful picture to the world because the world, without Jesus, you can't have peace. And if, if the world sees us fearful and anxious, then we've missed an opportunity to show them our Prince of Peace. So in summary, fear and anxiety are enemies to the peace that God provides. I'm going to take a bit, a bit of a step back and just, just give you a practical example of this. My family will know that my car is a bit of a, wait for it. <laughs> it's, what should I say? It's a little bit of a habitat for eight-legged crawling creatures. <sighs> Yeah, sorry, Billy, you've been riding my car all along, haven't you? I won't embarrass, well, I'm going to embarrass my sister. I'm going to say that she didn't hop in my car yesterday because there was a huntsman in the back of the car. So she turned around and said, nope, I'm going with Hannah. <laughs> I was driving to worship, from, away from worship practice Wednesday night, two weeks ago, I'd say, and I, we'd had a great time together. It was awesome. And I was, I was really happy because like, my sermon was coming together. We had a really good night at worship practice and something little sort of just grabbed my attention as in the rear view mirror as I was driving and it was, it was an eight-legged creature and I was like, oh cool, it's all right. They sort of, you know, the back, the hatch closes and they live in, just inside the sealant, so they're not actually in the car but they're, they're outside. Well, this one, <laughs> I, I kept my eye on it and it sort of went up like that and I was like, oh, that's, that's interesting. <laughs> so <laughs> I realised it was actually inside the car and I was still 20 metres from home, so feel my pain, guys. But my point is this, not for you to feel sympathy for me because I had a huntsman inside the back of my car, but if I kept looking at that huntsman, I would have crashed. It's highly likely, unless my peripheral vision is amazing. I had to take my eyes off it and trust that it wasn't going to crawl all the way into my head and I don't know what huntsmans do. But just like Peter looked at the, the waves instead of Jesus' face, if I'd looked at that huntsman, I would have sunk in figurative terms. I might have crashed into someone and caused a bit of an accident. It's as simple as that. Our eyes need to be on Jesus. Our eyes need to be in front of us. Not on the, not on the thing that's causing us anxiety or fear. 
yeah, to summarise that, so we've said we have peace with God and in God available to us. Our second point is that anxiety and fear are the enemies and the of the peace of peace that God provides. Um, we suffer from a lack of peace when we turn our eyes from Him. Now, this second point, I was looking. Um, I've got this really cool app. I really suggested to you guys if you're into your, your Hebrew and Greek and into studying the word a bit deeper. It's called My Sword on Andrew and E Sword on or I Sword on Apple. I guess that's they put I in front of everything. I looked at the word in the word anxiety in Philippians 4 verse 6. And it comes up that it turns out that the same word that's used for anxiety is actually used in Luke 8.14 when Jesus is telling the parable of the seeds and the sower. So Luke 8.14 says, the seeds that fell among the thorns, this is Jesus explaining what the parable meant to his disciples after, the seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but are all too quickly, all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. And so they never grow into maturity. Now that word cares, um, the Greek word that sits underneath that is the same word that's translated anxiety in Philippians 4 verse 6. And that's another, that hit me. I was like, man, sometimes, I don't know about you, but I've looked at that, that parable before and the, the weeds and, and the thorns that, that choke I haven't seen them. I've seen them more as like Facebook or worrying about cars or worrying about um, how many friends I've got and that sort of thing. But Jesus is actually talking about anxiety and fear in this, this verse as well. Anxiety and fear can actually choke us and stop our spiritual growth. And that's my second point there, according to Luke 8, 14. And, and sadly, we're prevented from bearing fruit when that happens. So... Where do we go from here? We've talked a bit about the peace that God gives us. We've talked a bit about what comes in the way of that peace, fear and anxiety. How do we, how do we go about living in peace is, is, is the question. Um, and we've got heaps of answers in the Word, which is awesome. There's a few verses there um, that I'll just read out. We've got Philippians 4 verses 6 to 7. That's the first one I want to look at, which I just briefly mentioned before. It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Pretty self-explanatory there. Pray, thank, and then we'll experience God's peace. It's, it's simple, but it's not simple, as we'll get to in a second. Now, another really interesting point. The word here for anxiety, and which is also in Luke 8, 14, is marimno. That's a pretty Aussie way of pronouncing it. But that actually stems from a root word meaning to divide. And if you go back to the root word from which peace in the Greek stems from, which means to join, how cool is that? Fear, anxiety, divide. Peace, put back together. God's peace puts us back together. It stops us from suffering from not only being separated from him, but also our, our mind. The, the, the idea of this verse is that our mind's in pieces. God provides us a peace that allows us to have a whole mind that is not separated by fear and anxiety. Uh, Isaiah 26 verse 3 says, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are stayed on you. 
1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. It's pretty clear that the antidote for suffering from fear and anxiety, from a lack of peace, is by fixing our thoughts on him. And in that also, I've got there 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. We're to, ta- we're to take every thought captive. Now, this is, this is a battle. Fear and anxiety, for those of you who have experienced, is not easy. I'm not saying that it's easy and it's simply, oh God, help me not to have fear and anxiety. Help me to have peace. It's not that simple, guys. This is a battle we're in daily because the enemy does come to kill, steal and destroy and rob. He wants to rob our peace. He wants to rob our joy, as Tanya was talking about last week. So this is something that's not just, doesn't just go with one simple prayer, something we've got to battle against daily. God promises us peace, but there's a condition that we trust. There's a condition that we, we take every thought captive. You know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of psychology behind this. I'm a psychology student, so I'm not going to go on a too big a rant, but anxiety and fear, it's, 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 it's warring of the brain. And we've got to, we've got to actually change that. We have the power, as tough and as hard as it is, because it's easy to give into fear. It's easy to give into the worry. But we, we've got to choose in that moment to fix our thoughts on Him and on His truth. That's why memorizing Scripture is so important. That's why spending time in the Word is so important, because the enemy loves to attack us with this stuff. If we don't have the weapons, if we don't have God's truth to stand on, then we are going to get shot down. We're going to struggle. And everything, our ministry, our love for other people is going to be crippled. Our fruit, as we saw in Luke 8, 14, we're not going to bear fruit. Our spiritual maturity is going to be stifled. Fix our eyes on Him. We must fix our eyes on Him. We must be willing to tackle every fear head on, bringing it kicking and screaming to the feet of Jesus. God desires for us to have peace in the midst of whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. And the great thing is, the great thing is that he promises this peace. He says, in the world you will have trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. My peace I give to you. It's not not that the world, the world can't satisfy. The world cannot give us this peace because the world's values are totally different. We've got to stay our mind on him. We've got to focus on the peace that he has given us. That's why prayer and thankfulness come side by side. That's why prayer and thankfulness are emphasized in Philippians 4 verse 6 because along with the word, prayer orientates our minds to him. It focuses us on him. Thankfulness. Moves our, moves our, our gaze from the things that we want and the things that might be causing us trouble to the things that he's already provided. And that, 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 goes, that, goes, that helps us heaps in our, in our battle to fix our mind on him. So it's something really simple, but it's something really hard. Um, and it's something we've got to battle every day. I just want to finish in the best way possible. And that's by just focusing on some truth that that God has given us. Peace isn't something unattainable, um, even in our humanity. We've got the Son of God who's gone before us and conquered every power and principality of the evil one. You know, Jesus was fully human. That meant that in that boat, he could have been fearful. 
He had to overcome that. But he did. And that means for us, being human, that's possible for us too. And that is so reassuring. Hebrews 4.15 says we don't have a high priest that is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness. He's been through everything that we have, we go through. And we can be sure of Jesus' power. You know, there's actually a prophecy in Psalm 104, verse 7. It says, At your command the water fled. At the sound of your thunder it hurried away. I was speaking of, of the power that God has to calm the waves. And that's exactly what happened on that day on the lake of, of Galilee. We can be sure of Jesus' power because he has overcome. He is sovereign. He's so much bigger than we could ever understand. He's so much bigger than our situations. Yet when we focus on the little things, they seem so big. As soon as we shift our focus to Jesus, stuff just gets blown, that, that little stuff gets blown away. That huntsman on the back of my windscreen became so insignificant because I was like, what's your truth about this situation, God? It's a little insect. insect. It's an animal that God's created. It's actually not going to harm me. You know, huntsmen aren't poisonous. They might look ugly, but they're God's creation. <laughs> I may have found an egg sack in there too, but that's okay. My sister's not going in my car ever again, is she? Those little things come, become so insignificant. Guys, let's fix our thoughts and our gaze on Jesus. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the Prince of Peace. In everything that we do, in every situation that we come up against in our daily lives, we can be sure because Jesus has overcome. I love that picture. I love that picture. I want to challenge you guys this morning. Young people, I want to speak to you guys just quickly. You know, the world throws so much at you guys. Young adults as well, included in that. We look at our Facebook feeds, we look at our Instagram feeds, we look at everything the media portrays and they tell us what we need to be happy and to be peaceful. The girl, the guy, a little bit of cash in the bank, the cool clothes, that sort of thing. You guys know as well as I that 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 doesn't satisfy, that that doesn't bring us peace. You guys need to be rooted in God's truth because if you're not reading the Bible, if you're not spending time with God each day, you're going to get blown away because it's so easy. It's hard to get into the Word. It's hard to pray. But I encourage you guys, if you want to, be, if you want to have peace in this, on this earth, we need to get into the Word of God. We need to spend time with Him. We need to spend time around our brothers and sisters in Christ Pressing in, you know, two of my best mates are here this morning, Dean and Josh. Thank you so much for coming, guys. It means heaps. We've had incredible times over the past year of praying together, worshipping together, submitting all our, all our crap to God, and for want of a better way of putting it, and focusing our eyes on Jesus. Get around people. If you're struggling to do it by yourself, guys, find friends and find people that are passionate for God and you feel comfortable around. That goes for you adults too. I know I'm not a parent, I don't have a house, don't have a mortgage, don't have kids to worry about, but I know that looking at my parents, it can be quite easy to, to give in to those things and let them become overpowering anxieties. You guys too, can I say in the most humble and, and, and low way possible, because I don't have your experience, but you need to submit those things to God. You need to put them at the feet of Jesus too. 
because your ministry is like this. Oh, I'm blown away at the, the caliber of adults that are in this church. You all have an incredible gift to minister to, to others. I don't want to see that stifled by your fear and anxiety. Jesus doesn't want to see that either. So I want to challenge you this morning. If there's, if there's any area that God's brought to light this morning as I've been speaking, I'm just going to read, a, read an excerpt from my devotional and then play a song. If there's anything that God brings up that you've been struggling with, that you know has been clouding your thoughts, clouding your focus, I encourage you this morning to get prayer. Stand with someone and take authority over that and fix your eyes on Jesus. Church isn't just about hearing a good word as much as that's important. It's about having a space, a safe space to minister to each other. So I encourage you, if you are struggling this morning, please get prayer. But also know that that that's not going to necessarily fix it. God does give us an overwhelming sense of peace sometimes. The Holy Spirit does come upon us sometimes. I've felt it before and I'm sure many of you guys have before, but the reality is that it's a decision that we must make from day to day and moment to moment to fix our eyes on Him. So I'm just going just gonna to read a little excerpt from my devotional um, that I think sums up God's peace really well. My peace I give to you, John 14, 27. Two painters were once asked to paint a picture illustrating his own idea of rest. First chose for his scene a quiet, lonely lake nestled among mountains far away. The second, using swift, broad strokes on his canvas, painted a thundering waterfall. Beneath the falls grew a fragile birch tree bending over the foam. On its branches, neatly wet with the spray from the falls, sat a robin on its nest. The first painting wasn't simply a picture, was simply a picture of stagnation and inactivity. The second, however, depicted rest or peace. Outwardly, Christ endured one of the most troubled lives ever lived. Storms and turmoil, turmoil and storms, wave after wave broke over him until his worn body was laid in the tomb. Yet his inner life was as smooth as a sea of glass, and a great calm was always there. Anyone could have gone to him at any time and found rest. Even as the human bloodhounds were dogging him in the streets of Jerusalem, he turned to his disciples, offering them his final legacy. My peace. Rest is not some holy feeling that comes upon us in church. It is the state of calm rising from a heart deeply and firmly established in God. My peace I give in times of deepest deepest grief, imparting calm and trust and my relief. My peace I give when prayer seems lost, unheard. Know that my promises are ever in my word. My peace I give when you are left alone. The nightingale at night has sweetest tone. My peace I give in times of utter loss. The way of glory leads right to the cross. My peace I give when enemies will blame. Your fellowship is sweet through cruel shame. My peace I give in agony and sweat. For my own brow with bloody drops was wet. My peace I give when nearest friends betray. Peace that is merged in love, and for them, praise. My peace I give when there's but death for thee. The gateway is the cross to get me. Jesus, we just thank you. Father, we thank you for your peace, Lord. We thank you that, God, the work you you did on the cross, 
allows us to not fear what tomorrow brings or what yesterday's held. Lord, I thank you that we can be confident in your work on the cross. We can be confident of a, a place that you've marked out for us in heaven, Lord, eternal glory. God, that we can be confident that no matter what happens to us here on earth, that you are with us, Lord. You're with us to the very end. We thank you for that promise. God, it's our desire that we would be able to say, say as Paul said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because of the peace that we have in you, Lord. Not just a feeling, but a, a deeply rooted confidence in you, Jesus. Father, I ask that for everyone here, Lord, that you would just help us, Lord, to fix our eyes on you from day to day. Lord, remind us how fleeting the things of the world are and how rich and how, how full and how good you are, God. God, we know that your peace is better than anything else that the world can offer. We just want to thank you, Lord, for that. God, I just pray that, Lord, as we, as we enter into time of ministry and worship, God, I just ask that you would just bring revelation and breakthrough, God, in, in our lives. And I ask that you would, you would help no one to, to leave this building feeling like what they're experiencing or what lies before them or what's gone behind them is too great for you. Lord, we thank you. Be a peace. In Jesus' name. Amen.